Good morning from me. Um, good to see you here. We're going to continue in our series, A Better Story. Uh, it's wonderful to begin a service with baptisms. Jesus is still about the work of saving people. Amen? Amen. He is uh, here to save today. And uh, we are looking at this morning at a subject of my body, my rights. As we look through this series, we're looking at uh, issues on, on sex and relationships and family and marriage. And today we're looking at my body, my rights. I'm going to read a few uh, verses from Proverbs and then pray and then we'll jump into today. So Proverbs verse, uh, sorry, chapter 17 verse 22 is one that I think anyone alive would agree with. It says this, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine. You feeling cheerful this morning? Proverbs 3, 7 and 8 says this, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We want to be of good cheer. We want to be people who know that there is healing in our flesh and refreshment for our bones. And the Bible calls us again and again to find that, as we've heard already this morning, in putting our trust in the Lord and turning away from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have an agenda this morning. Thank you you want to bring people out of darkness into light. You want to bring people out of shame into glory. We thank you for your wonderful desire for people to know life in abundance. You are not just a God who says, keep rules. You're a God who says, I've got life for you. And we thank you that we're stepping into that more and more each Sunday. We do pray, Holy Spirit, please be present among us. Would you open our deaf ears? Would you open our blind eyes and help us to see the glory of Jesus and to understand more of what life in abundance is in him? Amen. So we called this series A Better Story. And uh, as we've looked at in the previous weeks, we've called it that because there are a number of stories out there. As we just heard from Luke, who brought that word, there are, the world says there are a number of ways, there are a number of truths, there are a number of sort of efforts to find life. There are many stories out there. There is a story being formed in our society, and there is a story being told that is failing. And as a team of elders, we believe it's crucial that our church keeps circling back to these themes of sex and marriage and family and identity because they are fundamental issues in our society. They are fundamental issues to what it means to be human. And also because there's no denying that in recent decades, our understanding of these things has dramatically changed. And as followers of Jesus, we need to carefully consider how we navigate our own understanding in light of God's word, in light of what he says, in light of the dramatic changes and the shifting sands and the blowing winds, we need to be careful how we process and navigate our way through these things. How do we understand things? If we don't carefully consider, if we don't carefully assess, we will end up just going with the flow. We'll end up being swept along. If we don't have our, uh, our rocks in the bucket, if we don't have our flag down saying, I have things that I believe are good 
and virtuous. I, think, I have things that I believe to be true. I have, I have something that I hold on to as my foundation. Then we will get swept along and we will end up letting the pressure of other people and the culture determine for us what we believe. It happens all the time. We, we would drift into terribly harmful and painful beliefs and situations. It's extremely important, not because uh, this society is sort of out there and it might get us. No, it's not just an issue that's out there. This is crucial that we consider these things because they affect every one of us and our loved ones. And I doubt there are many people in this room who don't carry scars and baggage and sorrow because someone you love or you yourself have drifted into accepting a cultural narrative that has actually ended up causing you a tremendous amount of pain or sorrow. Things like, well, sleeping around doesn't mean anything. It's just an act of the flesh. It's just physical. Or you should try anything once. We should try everything once. We should, we should give everything a go once. Or do anything you feel like, as long as you don't hurt anyone. As if we know exactly what hurts everyone. Or pornography is just innocent fun. And some of these stories that come across, it's only after we, ex we have an experience that we realize, I wish I'd never gone there. I wish I'd never done that. I wish that I would thought carefully. I just wasn't thinking. I just went with the crowd. They told me to. You know, you say that as a kid in your class. The teacher says, why did you do that? They told me to. And then the teacher invariably says, would you jump off a cliff if they told you to? I just went with the crowd. And, and then you, can, you think, I can't ever take it back now. I've gone there. I've done that. I just did what I felt like doing. And, and some of us might be in a situation where we think, and now I can't stop. I don't know how to stop. I'm stuck. And in our last two Sundays, we've looked at the fact that over the last 60 years, there has been this sexual revolution. The way we think about sex and love and marriage and family has changed. And where some of us are delighted with what we see as great progress, and there have been progressions, there have been encouragements. Others of us are confused and disoriented as we as we see things that we thought, I thought that was settled. I thought that was sure and strong. I thought that was a grounded thing. It's like there's been a whirlwind, a tornado, and it's been lifted and it's been moved over there. And we're, we're kind of spinning heads. What? Where, when did that happen? Things have changed dramatically and over a short period of time. And as many philosophers have explained, and what we've looked at in recent weeks and we will go on looking at through this series is that there's this shift of common understandings in these areas are due to an underlying and pervasive idea that we've talked about that we call expressive individualism. Expressive individualism is an idea that is, it kind of makes up the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in in our culture. The truth of the matter is the sexual revolution was preceded, actually, by a revolution of understanding what is the self. What's the self? And when I say the self, I don't mean I am Tim Virgo. That is my individuality. I mean, what makes me Tim Virgo? What is it that makes me tick? How do I understand myself as I relate to life and the world? What's my purpose? What are my duties? Where does my satisfaction come from? So the sexual revolution was part of a growing change, actually. 
that was already taking place. That was a transformation of our understanding of what does it mean to be in existence? What does it mean to be a self? How do I think of myself? What gives me my identity? And there's a Canadian philosopher called Charles Taylor who helpfully gives us a definition of expressive individualism. He says it's this, it's the idea that we are at our most authentic, our most genuine, when we give expression to what we feel inwardly. That's the real me. The real me is what is inside, and only I can identify that. Only, only I know the real me. I must be able to express that externally. It's just me, just me, myself, and I get to define me. I get to choose. And if I'm denied expressing what I feel I am inwardly, I'm not only being denied a behavior, I'm being denied who I am at essence. I'm being oppressed. Myself is being oppressed. So we've got to this understanding, and this is what we're looking at a bit through this series, that ex expressive individualism in its simplest form means that we define ourselves by what feels right. What moves us? What do my atoms urge me towards? And another philosopher sums it up in this phrase. It's the unencumbered self. Not shackled by society. Not shackled by community. None of you get to tell me who I am. I decide who I am. Not even shackled by my family. Or even by my biology. Not even by my history or geography. I'm free to choose, and society must accept it. And there are still areas, some traces of areas in uh, society that we know there's still a dialogue between what is the self and what society accepts. I can't have the feeling that my identity is a serial killer and go around saying, I must be able to express that. No, society doesn't accept that. So there are traces of dialogue still between society and the self. But and at essence, it's what I imagine myself to be is a monologue. It's just between, it's just in my, heart, my mind, my heart, search my heart, search myself. It's internal, and I can be whoever I want to be. And is it any surprise, therefore, that this is the most lonely generation there has ever been? As if I need to find out who I am, my identity, I, I, I've got to close off everyone else. I've got to think about what do I feel. I've got to go internal. I've got to internalize everything. And it connects with our sexualized society because we then turn our sexual desires not only to define what we might like to experience, but to define who we are. So because we define ourselves by desires and urges and what moves us, our sexual urges then start to become the categories of identity. Not just what I like to do, this is now who I am. This is how I define myself. So what we're looking at is our, our internal convictions have become much more paramount than external factors. Historically, this has not been the case. We have shifted. We have moved. Historically, I would have been given my identity. It would have been my family that would have given me my identity, for instance, one of the many contributing factors. My family. So for me, I am son of Terry and Wendy. I am brother of four siblings. I am a grandson of a sergeant major in the army and a school caretaker. I am a husband to Esme and a father to four children. And all of these realities, these truths, would have had 
a, a bearing on me, on what my identity was. They would have shaped me more and more in the past. That would have told me who I am. They would have had attachments and expectations with them, responsibilities that came with them. My identity would be wrapped up in that. Or perhaps more in the past, it would have been as well another factor, my community. I am a member of Hope Church. I am, uh, I am from, I'm living in Ipswich. Those sorts of things would have an impact on who my identity is, who I am. I live in my street, in my area of town. I, I have my neighbours. That would have given me more and more of my identity, but we are moving away from that. No, it's just what I say I am. And obviously there were drawbacks from this way of thinking. People could be stuck in hierarchical structures if they were told what their identity was. They could have been oppressed. They could have been told to know your place. And this obviously happened in lots of ways. Hundreds of years ago, if you were born into a farmer's family, you couldn't have aspirations to be a knight. No, you're a farmer. <laughs> That's what you are, because you've been born into a farmer's family. You couldn't have aspirations. I, I want to be king. I, I want. I, I. No, you're a farmer. So people were brought up to learn the expectations of the fixed social structures, and children were formed in their education, formed to understand what their role was in society, whereas now we tend to teach children to realize themselves, construct an identity. And so the attitude kind of turns from, from teach me, I want to learn, to one of honor me, I have gifts, I have abilities, let me realize them. It's no longer an identity given to us, now it's an identity that I can construct, and that must be realized, it must be Recognized. So just quickly, I want to look at four people, four voices that have been instrumental in some of these changes, these transitions of thought over the last few centuries. You'll know all of these four names, and I'm not going to speak for a long time on them. But firstly, Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution. Charles Darwin puts forward the idea that, yes, we are evolved, he says, from animals, from apes, and therefore human beings are just exalted forms of animals. That's what we are. You don't have to have studied or read much of Darwin to have been heavily influenced by this. Think about the impact of that idea. Think about what that means for us. It takes away the recognition that mankind is special. No, you're not special. You're just a lump of atoms that happened to evolve a different way than those animals did. That's nothing like what Psalm 139 says, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or like Genesis saying, God created mankind in his image. Well, Jesus Christ came down and put on human flesh. These incredible truths. The dignity that comes with those things, the meaning that comes with those things is lost. As Darwin says, no, we're not answerable to any higher authority. We're not exceptional. We're just animals. That's had a huge impact over recent centuries. And then the voice of Karl Marx said he was a socialist revolutionary. He argued that morality is often just a function of the ruling classes. They're trying to normalize social behaviors in the working classes, so to keep order, manipulating people, so that uh, it would be unable for the 
ruling classes, so that it would be enabling, sorry, the ruling classes to maintain authority. That's what he claimed. And so things like this, lifelong monogamous marriage is undermined because he says, no, that's just a vehicle for capitalists to have a stable workforce in their factories. Suddenly there's this, ah, this is not something that's virtuous and upright. This is something that can be questioned. This is something that can be mistrusted. I don't get to realize myself that I'm being oppressed. I'm being manipulated here. Is love good or is it just a political thing? Is sex an outworking of love or is it just a political thing? These things, have, these, these men have had tremendous impact and these thoughts have. The next one we know very well, I'm sure, Frederick Nietzsche said, God is dead. His, this was his commentary on the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment, the age of reason, an intellectual and cultural movement in the 18th century, emphasizing reason over superstition and science over blind faith. The Enlightenment, therefore, got rid of God. Yeah, maybe God was there in the beginning like he wound up a clock and then let it go. But there's no need for him anymore. He's gone. And other philosophers had sort of argued that, but Nietzsche argued its implications. Hey, wait, listen, if God's dead, then everything is up for grabs. Anything is up for grabs. There's no transcendence. There's just material. You cannot appeal to anything outside of your existence. There's no accountability. So, in effect, you are God. You do what you want. And with that, life is ultimately meaningless. You make your own meaning. Make of life whatever you can. Here's the notion that freedom from God is freedom. Freedom to live. It's ultimately empty and meaningless, but at least it's unencumbered. At least it's free. That's the argument there. And many of us swallow this kind of thought. It's kind of there in the background. Where is God? If God's not there, I get to be unencumbered. And of course, we know that a Silly man with a little moustache took that very far. Sigmund Freud was the next name that I've got on the list, the fourth one. And author Carl Truman says this, many, than, many more than any other figure, Freud made plausible the idea that humans from infancy onward are at core sexual beings. Many of his psychoanalytic theories have been debunked, but still a lot of the theories have come through to be common become common currency. So he placed sexuality right at the heart of what it means to be a human being. That was his thing. He, he, it opens up this concept, doesn't it? That who I am really is just a bunch of atoms that has urges. I just have urges. That's what I am. That's what defines me. And with these four people, we've seen a transition. Uh, not, not only them. These are just uh, sort of helpful um, pinpoints of where we've seen some of the transition. But as we see these things, we find less external meaning, more internally produced meaning. Less meaning imposed on me, more I make up my own meaning. Less and less meaning, more and more urges. And this leads to this very logical but terrifying remark from evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, who said this, the universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. 
for nothing really matters. All this enlightenment, all this progress has got us to the point where nothing matters. Do what you feel like. You're just a blob of atoms. You're just dancing to the music of your DNA. Some of us think that feels freeing. And some of us are aware of things like this. When Russia invades the Ukraine, we know it's not sufficient to just say, well, you can't blame Putin. He's just dancing to the music of his DNA. Or when a nine-year-old was shot a few months ago by an intruder in her own home in Liverpool. It doesn't cut it to say, well, he was just dancing to the music of his DNA. It doesn't cut it to say, it's just our DNA, it's just our urges. There's no meaning, there's no right or wrong when we hear things like one, one in four women have been raped or sexually assaulted by an adult. Sorry, as an adult. One in six children have been sexually abused. One in 20 men have been raped or sexually assaulted as an adult. These things matter. They matter. It matters. It's not okay. It's not sufficient just to say, nothing really matters. We're just a blob of atoms. It, it does, you know that's not right in the soul of your being, in the depths of It does matter. I'm not okay with that. It matters that people are being killed around the world in wars because those people are made in the image of the living God. And they're made for his glory. It matters because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. It matters because life is more than atoms and DNA. It matters because we are more than apes. It matters because morals and consciences are not just social constructs and manipulation. God is not dead. There is justice. There is accountability. There will be accountability. We're not just the sum of our urges. This is what this word of God holds up to be true. It matters. Your life matters. There is a better story. There is meaning. You matter. And I, I, I was so encouraged to hear the themes that were coming through our worship time and what was being sung about. We hadn't planned that together, and uh, me and Chris, and, and the, the words that God was bringing through people. Because God wants to restore people today. Those who, I don't really matter. What does it matter? What does life matter? I don't, why not go and sleep around? Why not just go and cheat on my spouse? Why not just do whatever I feel like? Nothing matters. We're here for a short while, then we die. Why not just live for the moment? But today you need to hear your loving God say, you matter so much. Your battles matter. Your choices matter. There is purpose. There's a God who designed you to thrive and to flourish and to glorify him and to know him. There's a God who can give you a glad heart today. Who heals your flesh. Who refreshes your bones. And for some of you in here, you know it matters that you've done things yourself. That the culture says, they don't mean anything. And you can't seem to get the grime off yourself. Because you know it did mean something. Maybe you've done things with other people. Maybe you've got an issue with online pornography. And the, the culture says, so? Do, do, who cares? And yet something in you says, I care. I'm not free from this. This is enslaving. This isn't freedom. This is slavery. To choose whatever I urge. To choose. I'm, in, I'm in bondage to my urges. That's not freedom. 
And there's a God who says, I've got freedom for you. I've got, I've got freedom from your guilt and shame and freedom from urges. I've got life in abundance for you. And yet the culture would say, shake it off. Just shake off the dirt. Just, just carry on. And we, turn, we find out we, we, we become, instead of a, a, a culture that know how to deal with shame, as we just heard one of the contributions come through, we can't deal with it, we just ignore it. We've become shame-averse. You shouldn't feel any shame. You're just a bunch of atoms. Don't feel shame for what you do. But we're riddled with it. And we have to pretend that we're not. That's our only way out. Just pretend that it's not. And so we act shamelessly. We start to behave shamelessly. And the culture just descends into shameless acts of debauchery and self-gratitude. Because we don't know how to get rid of it. So we just, just, just indulge in it. But many of us know I'm not satisfied with that. I, I, I want to get rid of this because the more I step into this, the less human I feel. I wasn't made for this. The culture says, shake off the dirt. You should be able to do whatever you want to do. Don't care about it afterwards. But you know, I can't live like that. It matters. Pretending not to be ashamed doesn't seem to work. As you carry on pretending, the reality is you feel disturbed inside. You feel actually less alive, less connected, less human. There is real shame and it can be dealt with properly. That's the better story. That's the better story that we're going through this series. We're not just here to proclaim a God who says, do this, do that, I've got rules for you. No, it's a better story. Don't be enchained. Don't be caught up in this lie. Christians have, better, have a better story than pretending that what we do with our bodies is meaningless. And that better story comes as good news for those who want healing and want shame to be dealt with properly. There may be some in the room to say, they say, I'm not a Christian. What does this mean for me? It means there's good news for you. Because there is a God who can properly deal with shame, and properly deal with guilt, and, and properly deal with the weight of maybe what happened to you. Or maybe something you did, you think, I never should have gone there. I, it, it, I can't even blame anyone else. I shouldn't even been in that place. And there's a God who says, I can actually deal with that. It's not just lump it and carry on and just carry the scars. No, I can deal with that. In the New Testament, there's this letter that Paul the Apostle writes to a church in Corinth where he speaks into some of these things we've been looking at. So he, he speaks to these people who have been following their sexual urges and they've been claiming, well, we're forgiven Christians, right? I'm forgiven, so anything's permissible because I'm forgiven. I've got my ticket to heaven. I can do what I want. I'm free from God's law. I can do what I want. They follow their urges. They say things like, well, it's like food is for the stomach, so, um, and stomach is for food. And it's kind of like that with sex, right? Sex is for the body. The body's for sex. Let's just go with our urges. And yet Paul, Paul speaks to that. Let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 6. It's on screen. He says this, quoting them. You say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me, but I won't be dominated by anything. See the difference there? I can do what I want, right? That's our, that's our worldview. We should be able to do what we want. Yeah, but it's not helpful to you. 
I should be able to do what I want. Yeah, but it dominates you. You're not free. Let's carry on. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Yeah, but God will destroy both one and the other. Think deeper about these things. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul is addressing the heart of their behavior. The heart of the issue. Look, you're damaging yourselves. You're damaging yourself. You haven't understood something. And this is what I hope that those of us in the room here are Christians today and those not Christians can look in and see and aspire to say, I want that. They haven't understood the glory of their salvation in Jesus. They haven't understood that you've been connected. You've been united with the living God. What are you doing playing in this dirt? What are you doing messing around? Do you not understand the glory of the salvation that has been given to you? I've been singing some wonderful songs about that this morning. God, you have done great things. You've done great things. Do we understand the glory of those things? God's design for what we use our body for is not because he's a stuffy killjoy. It's because there is deep meaning, deep implications, and there is glory in it. They are living in squalor because they don't understand they've been given a palace. Giving you access to a palace reminds us of the C.S. Lewis quote. It says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, life in all its fullness. Jesus, it says in the Psalms, at his right hand are pleasures evermore. And yet we, we squabble around in the dirt to try and find pleasures. He's saying, come, I've given you a palace. I've given you a day at the seaside. He's given us incredible depth of meaning. We matter. We matter to him and our lives matter. And what we do with our lives and our bodies matters profoundly. A Christian is one who has been given a new identity. We don't create one for ourselves. We could never create one as glorious as the one we have been given. Our worst thoughts, our worst words, our worst decisions haven't just been swept under the rug. It's not just out of sight, out of mind. It's not time that heals us from those. They have been dealt with. They have been taken and nailed to a cross in Jesus. We are members of him. 
We are united with him by the Holy Spirit. And with that comes dignity. And with that comes purpose. And with that comes expectations and responsibilities that display and uh, give us life in all its fullness. We're bought. We're bought with a price, Paul said. Don't you know you've been bought with a price? Such a price. Such a price. The son of the living God would come. High king of heaven, born low. Into the mud. Into the squalor. To save me so that I could get the palace. Wrecked on a cross. Torn to pieces for me. And not that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it is the wrath. The anger of God towards sin fully paid by him, fully poured on him so that we could say it's not been swept under the rug. It's been smashed to him and dealt with fully. He died. He went into the grave and then rose up victorious three days later. We died with him. We rose with him. We were bought at such a price. The perfect sinless God laying down his body That's what he chose to do with his. He chose to lay down his body. He chose to turn from sin at every opportunity with his body, to be spotless with his body so that our bodies could be cleansed and freed from sin and shame. So perhaps you're here as a believer who has compromised and you've sinned against your own body. Maybe this is long ago and maybe this is recently or maybe it's ongoing and maybe it is addictive behavior God says there is something today for you. You can flee from it today. It's not just willpower, it's fleeing to him. It's turning from evil. Flee to the, him, the one who has truly killed its power over you. It's killed its power in your life and has joined you to himself. You were bought. You were purchased by his love. You are so valued. You are so valuable to him, your life and your freedom and your pleasure and your satisfaction, they mean so much to him. Do you know that? We can think, no, I'm supposed to not enjoy myself in church or in God's presence. And when my dad was younger, he went to a church and you're not allowed to speak. You know, I'm grateful we, we don't have that today. But sometimes we can be religious, think, oh, I'm not supposed to really enjoy pleasure. God cares about you enjoying satisfaction and pleasure and freedom and life in abundance. You mean something to him. You mean so much to him. And he wants you to know those things can only be found in him. And Perhaps there are some of you today who are not yet Christians. But through the worship time and perhaps through what you've heard this morning, you believe what's been said. You just believe it. You believe that Christ is the only way that you can really find that your shame can be dealt with. The shame that you carry can be taken away. You know that he is inviting you today to be joined to him, to be joined to his death and to be raised with him to new life. You know that in a few months you want to be in that pool because something has happened today. You think God is offering me new life. He's going to deal with my sin. I want to encourage you, please, either one of those categories, please come to the prayer area afterwards. Please be prayed for or sit with someone that you know in your seat and talk this through and pray with them that you might be able to walk into freedom from guilt and shame. You might be able to say, God, thank you that you value me. Thank you you value what I do with my body. We began with a cheerful heart is good medicine. 
Is the band okay to come up? Thank you. And let's just let's have a cheerful heart together. Let's remember that God has paid such a price for us that we could celebrate. I can't remember the line, but there was a song earlier that we sang. We, we, we get to celebrate. We dance and sing in the victory of what he has done. A cheerful heart is good medicine. God wants you to have a free, redeemed, spotless, cheerful heart today. You can find that in him. He can bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much as we consider the meaning that comes from honouring your word. The meaning that comes from knowing we're not just a lump of atoms. We're not just a, a, a lump of urges, the sum of urges. We are fearfully, wonderfully made, designed, purposed, given meaning. We matter. We matter to each other. We matter to you so much that you would go right to the cross, that you would use your body to redeem ours. God, we are again amazed by the depth of your love and the distance you would go for us. And Father, I want to pray for those, particularly today, who feel I've squandered my flesh. I should have been a good steward of it, but I've messed around with my body and there are things about it I really regret. Lord, we pray today for such hope for them that they would know the mercy and grace of God smiling over them. You don't tut at them. You don't wag your finger. You say, come, let me heal you. Let me embrace you. Let me take away those scars. I can do it properly. I pray today many people would know proper shame taken away. No longer just pretending. In Jesus, dealt with. Pray, Lord, that there might be salvation today as well, as people know, I want this freedom. I want this offer of new life in Jesus. Thank you for your kindness to us. Amen.